So you had Akibono, Musashi Maru, Konishiki, and then you had a few other Hawaiians who were in Jurio, you know, who was, which was the, the second uh, top professional division. So these guys were also in the top 50. You know, you had those three top guys, and you had maybe three, four, or five guys who were one step below. And they were all thriving. You know, the Hawaiians were really thriving. The Americans were really thriving. And then they banned all foreigners from coming in. And when that happened, that basically put the kibosh on Hawaii. There was nothing for the Hawaiians to aspire to anymore. You know, they, they, they really, you know, they were basically told, we're, we're not taking any of you for any reason. And there, there was like a 10-year period where very few foreigners were coming in. I mean, they let a few guys in from Mongolia. They let a few guys in from China. But they had, they had cut off other parts of Europe for a little while. Um, they, had cut off, they still have an unspoken ban on Hawaiians just like they have an unspoken ban on Africans and other black people. I really uh, would enjoy seeing that revival and being part of that revival. This is Kevin Carter, Sumotori, judoka, writer, intellectual. You're listening to No Holds Barred with Eddie Goldman. everyone around the world. Once again, this is Eddie Goldman on No Holds Barred. I hope you had a chance to listen, like, and learn from the first part of our interview with Kevin Carter. This is the second and final part and takes us up to the present about his long up and down journey with Sumo. This is also one of a series of interviews where the recent revival and prospects for Sumo in the U.S. are discussed. So, look for more of these coming shortly. But, before we get to that, a word from the sponsors of No Holds Barred. No Holds Barred is brought to you by LennyHart.com, the home of Lenny Hart, the legendary MMA and sports announcer, voice actor, singer, actress, and comedian. Lenny is also known for her jazz vocals with her Lenny Hart Jazz Cabaret Band. For more information, to book her, or to order a custom message from her, go to LennyHart.com. That's L-E-N-N-E-H-A-R-D-T dot com. And Skulls Fight Shop, home of the Skulls Double End Bag the perfect punching bag for your combat sports training. Skull's double-end bags provide a realistic striking target and help improve speed, distance, and timing skills. Hang it and hit it right out of the box. No pump required. Skull's Fight Shop, advancing combat sports equipment for the next generation of fighters. For more information, go to Skulls, that's S-K-U-L-L-Z, fightshop.com. 
com and Adolfina Studios original art prints and handcrafted fine jewelry for more information go to etsy.com that's etsy.com slash shop slash Adolfina Studios that's A-D-O-L-P-H-I-N-A Studios also please subscribe to the No Holds Barred page on Patreon for much more No Holds Barred content that's at patreon.com slash Eddie Goldman Hello everyone around the world welcome back this is Eddie Goldman, No Holds Barred. And now, the second and final part of our interview with Kevin Carter. You did that for a couple of years in Hawaii. And yeah. then, 98 was the Night of the Giants. The one yeah. that yeah, well, I had competed. I had competed in the um, North American Championship. I took fourth one year in North America. Um, I beat Joe Brutus, who was an Olympic judo player from Haiti. Um, that was a very legitimate win. <laughs> People were very surprised. Wayne was like, yeah, man. He, he, Wayne gave me the Kanto show. He said, nobody else knows what this is, but you got the Kanto show this year, man. You know, uh, outstanding performance. I mean, fighting, fighting, fighting spirit prize, because I had taken this guy uh, earlier, this guy named Joe... Uh, Tony Sinako from Canada. Tony was almost as big as Manny, but nowhere near the athlete. And I had basically taken him what we call what the, the great Minomi, who was one of the pros, called Circus Sumo. And I had gotten under Tony Sinako and basically spun him around and threw him out of the ring. But my momentum was carrying me one way, and he did something you're not ever supposed to do. He grabbed my shorts and basically made my momentum go another way, bent my knee in a way it wasn't supposed to be built, and I bent, and I went flying out of the ring and very awkwardly and landed in the stands. I ended up cutting my abdomen, my, 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 uh, my side around my kidney, and almost tearing a bunch of ligaments in my knee because... My momentum, we were going really fast, and his, the momentum from me throwing him had caused us both to come out of way. But when he grabbed my, when he grabbed my shorts, I had to go another way because I couldn't keep going. So I ended up really hurt, really bloody, and all that kind of stuff. And I ended up having to go back in the back and get, like, treatment. You know, I ended up getting, like, bandages for my cuts, and uh, they were like, well, you know, you might as well sit this out. Your knee is really bad, and I refused to I refused to not fight. So I had they, – they didn't, we didn't have a real trainer. So one of, the, one of the guys from Hawaii basically just took some tape and wrapped my knee up, and I went back out there to fight Joe Brutus, who was uh, this really good judo player from North Jersey who has fought in two Olympics for Haiti. And I actually beat him. And, uh, you know, this, this was in the North American. So I ended up going into the semifinals. If I would have, if I would have beat Wayne Vieira, which I could have never done because on my best day, I couldn't have beat him much less the way my knee was going. But so, you know, for the, for the third place match, I ended up 
you know, just being forced out by Wayne. So I ended up being fourth in North America that year. That was and, in and 90, which year was this? That was ninety six. Okay. So I fought, I fought in the world in ninety six, and then in ninety seven was my last one. Um, Taylor fought in the world in ninety six as well for the United States. Um, that that was a funny thing too. I mean, we used to <laughs> we we had been training at uh, Azuma Zekibea. Where, where where Jesse was the guy, you know, and um, well, no, no, Jesse wasn't the guy at Azumazeki. Then Takasago, no, Kaliski was at Takasago. Jesse was at Azumazeki, and uh, T- Taylor had been there, and so Taylor breaks into Akabono's room, calls him on his own phone, says, "Hey, motherfucker, I'm here to see you," you know. <laughs> Twenty minutes later, because you know, the, the 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 sumos were on Junio, which is you know regional trips, the pros. So Akibono wasn't in Tokyo. Taylor breaks into Akibono's room, calls him on his own telephone, you know, calls his cell on his own telephone. Twenty minutes later, somebody shows up with a car. Taylor gets in the car. About an hour later, he's on a plane down to Fukuoka. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, Akibono thought of Taylor Tooley as a mentor. And he was really in, um, they had a really great relationship. Because when Akibono first came to Japan, Taylor was one of the Hawaiians who was in the in the stable. And, you know, he was about the only person who would speak to him in English. And he was about the only person who was kind to him and who would, like, help him just, like, negotiate the the problems and the the craziness of sumo so when taylor had to quit sumo because he had hurt his knees so he went back to hawaii and akibono stayed around and of course became one of the you know the yokozuna the first foreign yokozuna taylor was also in a uh, disastrous match in the ufc one too yeah 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 that was that was another story man but but (laughs) But this, yeah, this was after the UFC. You know, this is after he'd been in that. But no, no, wait. Yeah, yeah, this is after he'd been in the, in the UFC. But um, so he ended up rep- representing the U.S. in '96 or '97 in the Worlds. Um, John Jacks was uh, instrumental in getting him on the U.S. national team for that. So Taylor, Wayne Vieira, the only Puloto. Uh, Kenna Heffernan, again, part of that Heffernan dynasty from Hawaii, were on the uh, U.S. team that time. That was uh, also, um, there's this guy named Babamutu Okeke from Nigeria who had seen a picture of Manny Yarbrough a few years earlier and decided that he was going to become a sumo. So he was like this, he was like a pro wrestler in Nigeria before this. He was about uh, about 300 pounds, you know, re- really, you know, kind of kind of nicely built. But he decided he was going to put on a bunch of weight, so he put on like 200 pounds because he wanted to be like Manny. And he spent several months in Tokyo uh, training at Nihon University, which is where you know, if you're like a high level amateur, if you weren't training with the pros, Nihon U was where you would train. And I actually got to say, I got a chance to train there 
and they actually paid me a compliment when I was training there in 96. Um, you know, I, I was training and it was, it was like, it was on a college campus, but it was like a regular sumo stable, you know, like your college sumo team, basically all they did was sumo. They weren't like, it was almost like you would play with college football players. All they did was play football. Well, your Nihon university was your top sumo team because, uh, Tanaka sensei was, you know, he was the head of the International Sumo Federation. He was the head of the Nihon Sumo Renbei. And he was also the head of the Nihon, the coach of the Nihon University Sumo team. And, um, you know, he, he had, you know, invited me to train there. Like, he invites any, any amateur to train there. And when I was training there, um, one of the guys I was training with told me I was stronger than OKK. <laughs> <laughs> what what well, happened funny, okay. what happened with all this going on in the 90s what happened after that after 98 the night of the giants uh front pearlstein and bob edwards film that the later came out in right. 2003 it's which focused a lot on this scene in hawaii it seemed that a lot of it a lot of it tapered off for a couple of years at that point. Well, again, the, the thing about Hawaii you got to understand is that, you know, aside from John Jacks and, and a lot of the guys who were um, really moving sumo, the thing that really put the kibosh on sumo in Hawaii was when essentially Japan announced that they were limiting the... Well, first of all, they had a ban on foreigners in the late 90s. They're like, no more foreigners coming into sumo. Because before that, there were, you know, you had a lot of Hawaiians trickling in and a lot of people from other parts of the world trickling in. Um, but when they put a ban on sumo in Hawaii, in, in, in Japan, the Hawaiians, essentially, like the younger kids who were trying to aspire to go there, like I remember George Kalima's brother, Kalani, I used to know him. We were in the University of Hawaii together. And he wanted to go over there because his two older brothers had been over there. But when they banned Americans, you know, they basically cut off that chance for Americans to, for Hawaiians and other Americans to do sumo. So sumo kind of died there, you know. And, and what year, what year did they put the ban in? Do you remember? That was, I forget exactly what year, but that was around 98 and 99. Okay. They, they, they just said no more, no more foreigners. <laughs> and that was on for essentially that was on a, they never announced it but they said no more foreigners and that was almost 10 years because you had a lot of guys you, know? you mentioned Akibono, Kanishiki Musashimaro right. you had a lot of guys right. who were and, doing really well right and that's, that's exactly the time when there, there, there were those there were those three guys and then you had like five or six other guys who were right below them in skills and, and ability, like Henry Miller, um, Centorio, who was a Japanese American slash Af African American, a uh, good friend of mine. Uh, when I went to Tokyo, I would always seek him out. He was one of the, well, he was the only pro at the time from the mainland United States. And um, he was making it to, to secutory status. So you had Akibono, Musashimaru, Konishiki, and then you had a few other Hawaiians who were in Jurio, you know, who was, which was the, the second 
uh, top professional division. So these guys were also in the top 50. You know, you had those three top guys, and you had maybe three, four, or five guys who were one step below. And they were all thriving. You know, the Hawaiians were really thriving. The Americans were really thriving. And then they banned all foreigners from coming in. And when that happened, that basically put the kibosh on Hawaii. There was nothing for the Hawaiians to aspire to anymore. You know, they, they, they really, you know, they were basically told, we're, we're not taking any of you for any reason. And there, there was like a 10-year period where very few foreigners were coming in. I mean, they let a few guys in from Mongolia. They let a few guys in from China. But they had they had cut off other parts of Europe for a little while. Um, they had cut. Off, they still have an unspoken ban on Hawaiians, just like they have an unspoken ban on Africans and other Black people. Um, there have only been two people of African, well, of, of well, three people of African ancestry in the pros. You had uh, Henry Miller. Uh, you had a guy named uh, Marvin Sano who was half African-American and half Japanese, but he was born and raised in Japan, so he wasn't formally considered an American. And then you had the guy who came in in the early part of the last decade from Egypt. He was the only person actually from the African continent to make pro sumo. And he actually made the top division too, but he retired like two or three years ago. So you have but, you have this yeah. situation where around the beginning of the 21st century right American sumo after a, a pretty as you said it was not just in Hawaii but it was thriving all over right. with all these people you right. mentioned is really in decline. Yeah. A- and you you had some attempts to revive it Locally, uh, the California Sumo Association, which is now USA Sumo, began running the U.S. Sumo Open. The the movie that we talked about, Sumo East and West, yeah. Yeah. and it's but it continues along until 2005, when there's the announcement they're going to do the World Sumo Challenge at Madison Square Garden with the, with some of the people from the Night of the Giants right. involved in that. But you you were no longer involved in that event because we, we talked before that, you know, we started recording. You weren't even right. at that event in the garden. Yeah, I was, you know, it made me mad because, now, I was a reporter for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And I... Was tie, you know, I was a competitor in sumo. I had done broadcasts. I had even gone to Mexico City and done broadcasts in Spanish. In fact, I got to tell you, I was in a bank in Pennington, New Jersey, sometime in the late 2000s, the late last decade, and somebody actually recognized me as a sumo wrestler because they said they had seen me on Mexican TV. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And they didn't never... invite you to this with, with all of this because you're no longer competing, but with all of this knowledge, with all of this experience, right. 
Right. They, they didn't. They didn't call you in. I, yeah, I, that's one of the things I, I felt that the people running that had no sense of how to deal with the media, and I, I just yeah. always felt they they got coverage from Sports Illustrated and some of the newspapers and magazines of the time when they did that publicity stunt where they had the the guys were staying at the Hotel Pennsylvania across 7th Avenue from the Garden, and they had them in the middle of the day in their Milwaukee's cross 7th Avenue from the hotel to the Garden, and you could see the uh, crosswalk, you know, uh, markings on the street, sort of it to be like Abbey Road, the, the Beatles yeah. thing. Yeah. To me, this is the, yeah. the people running it had the Beatles culture, you know, was sort of sim- yeah, you know, sim- rather than yeah. combat sports culture. And when almost none of those people that co- that gave this coverage beforehand went to the event and covered the event. And yeah. I always felt that that you know I was there, and I felt they kind of tolerated me. So, as I mentioned to you also earlier, after the event was over, I went down, I was sitting, I think they just had a sitting in the in the stands, they didn't even have a, I don't recall if they even had a press section. So, I go down, back into the locker room, and uh, Fukao was the winner, who is now known as Akasiyama, who's competing in Japan, and I said, uh, I want to interview Fukao, and they said, he's not here, he left. Said so you can have a press conference? No, you know. And they viewed it like a concert. Like after a concert, you don't really have yeah. a press conference. After a sporting event, you usually do have a press conference, particularly combat sports, because I was very familiar with boxing, where all, at least the major events is always some kind of press conference or press event afterwards. And uh, they got that on tape delay on ESPN, and they had. I will say this, the crowd they got at the Garden, I don't know how, it was about 8,000. I don't know how many people paid or how if they papered the place or whatever, but even if you paper the crowd, you can't get people to cheer. The fans loved the event. And, That's cool. And they then went on the next year to do become the World Sumo League. And they said they were going to do this big international tour. Now, first of all, they didn't even have a TV deal at the time for ninety for for two thousand six because it was shown a couple of months later again on tape delay on ESPN. I think it becomes more of a curse than a blessing to get these events on ESPN because you kind of yeah. stuck with them into what their agenda is. Well, it, I gotta it, say, man. You know, I was, <laughs> this is how I, I consider so much of an insult because they actually had these guys show up in Philadelphia. Now, that's my hometown. And, you know, you have somebody like Wayne Vieira, who's an old friend of mine, and you're not, like, talking to me about this guy or you're not getting him in contact with me or nobody's telling you that I'm, that, that, Telling me that he's there or, or him that I'm there? They don't. They don't you know, know. They probably didn't know who to speak to. This is this is what. But this is what I'm saying. This is why I was so angry about those events, and then why I basically said fuck sumo. 
I didn't mean fuck sumo as fuck, you know, sumo the sport, but anybody involved with running it or publicizing it or being part of the federation, I want them to do it. I mean, I had been treasurer of the U.S. Sumo Federation for years. You know, again, I had done these broadcasts. Um, I, mean, I remember I had done so many interviews about sumo. I wrote a story in the Philadelphia Inquirer magazine about my experiences in Japan. You know, I mean, I, I, I really, I, I had done all kinds of stuff to kind of get Manny publicity. I, 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 I made this press kit for him. You know, I did all kinds of stuff for sumo. And for these idiots not to even bring me into anything, I was like, fuck sumo. And that, that's, the way these guys, that's the way these guys were, because these guys knew that I knew Manny. I sought them out, okay? They knew that that I had, you know, covered Manny stuff, both the, the MMA and and sumo. And the night of the giants, and and now I'm still here, and they're running it in the garden, which is you know very easy, obviously, for me to get to. Right. And right. they're running these events, and I had to sort of barge my way into this, and they kind of, and I even have the same last name as the guy that was the head of it, and went to the same school as the guy Noah Goldman no relation to me he was at Columbia a couple of years after I was so we're roughly the same generation and you know it's like who the hell is it you know why are these guys bothering us kind of attitude to stuff yeah it's it's just (laughs) and and then I I guess you didn't go the following year they did their abortive tour that without a TV deal without knowing how to use the internet, without all of this stuff, they planned this big tour and they went in in uh, 2006 to the Meadowlands Arena. And I guess you, I guess you weren't at that event either. So I kind of also... I, I had... Yeah. I kind of barged... Nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with anything. Yeah. So I, I sort of barged my way in, in again to uh, to cover it. And I went with a, a friend of mine, and I forget what the capacity was at the time. I'm, I don't think they used that arena. I'm not sure what happened to that arena, but it was a basketball-type arena with 18,000, 20,000 capacity, whatever. They had fewer than 1,000 people there. But mm. once more, the fans who were there loved it. And again, no press conference afterwards, like nobody learns anything. So I'm going backstage, hustling around with my recorder to interview interview people. But what they did after the event, they let the, there were a lot of kids there. And it's also, by the way, all these events have been family friendly, unlike some of these other combat sports. So people brought these little kids there and the little kids would go out on the mats with these huge sumo guys and yeah. the kids absolutely loved it and were kind of very playful about it and they were buying and they had merchandise there sumo dolls the people loved the event and you can't you know if they didn't I would have said so I would have been the first one to say right. so 
And that was it. And they ran a couple more times and they canceled the tour. And that was the end of the World Sumo League. And a couple of times later, I was in touch with their publicists and some of these people. Oh, we're going to come back. And they kept changing the name a little bit. And even a couple of years ago, they said they were going to restart it in Vegas. None of it ever, none of it ever happened. So you were out of the sport. Yeah, Andy I was, totally... was out of the sport. Yeah, I'm focusing on. I'm more than willing to cover this, to cover it, um, along with these other combat sports. And there's nothing to cover. And if we yeah, fast, my last. Uh, go ahead. My last match was in. I believe 2002 at the North American Championships up in Toronto. Um, we had, uh, it was actually, I, I can remember, it was probably the last really well-planned competition that I had been involved in. Um, I ended up actually tearing some ligaments in my left hand throwing a guy. <laughs> But some of that's inevitable when you do sports. You're going to get too old yep. and too beat up yep. to do it. Yep. That's just that's the way things go. And exactly. when that generation that we talked about was was done, people there was there was nothing left. And yeah, that's, that's and, right. and the World and Sumo League was, was supposed to pick that up. Because Yanni was involved right. in that, he was the official for that event. But after the whole World Sumo, you know, the one at the Garden, after the World Sumo League collapsed, that was it for a few years. And yep. and I didn't really have any involvement until really. I mean, you know, ESPN would sometimes show irregularly some of the bash shows at 2 a.m. or whatever and yeah. streaming sports it wasn't like it was now where you have so much going on where it's, it's easier to find these things and I really didn't see anything till 2016 when they had the sumo and sushi tour and it came to New York um, that the USA Sumo people did. Bayamba was here, and that was just sort of yeah. a, a fun event, which really sumo demonstrations. It wasn't so much competitive, you right. know, because Andrew Freund was running it, and he was also the official, and you had the three guys who were doing it, doing round robin. But the fans there, the people who were there, again, they liked the event. They didn't really know what the hell was going on. I don't think anyone else realized what was happening on the mat, you know, that they these were demonstration matches. Right. Um, but again, after the event was over, they let them go out on the mat, <laughs> you know, just wow. average New York-sized people yeah, and full, so full around, full around with these huge guys, you know, Yama and Sotslan and Bayamba. And it was fun and... The, 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 I think they still do these sumo and sushi tours. Obviously, the pandemic has screwed everything up. But yeah. the, the point is, every one of these sumo events that I've been at, 
personally, in in the United States, the people loved it because it's yeah. easy to understand. Even though yeah. it, there's so many, yes, there are all these techniques that you'll figure out as you learn about it, but it's easy to know who won. The matches are short, and because most of the people are huge and just wearing yeah. a watchy, it's very visual. I was gonna say I, it's funny too, though. We we used to have the the North American and the U.S. national championships uh, in the nineties. A few years out at the Hollywood Casino, Hollywood Park Casino in uh, in L.A. And I used to notice though that, and and this isn't just from from people who would come to watch. But there's a lot of people who, you know, since I was a fan and a and sort of a student of it, I had been in contact with a lot of people. And because I guess it was sumo and people didn't really know it, everybody, you know, a lot of people watching used to feel that they could just, you know, come in off the street and come in and compete and win. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many people would walk up to me especially, because I can say I look like a librarian and not a sumo. But uh, <laughs> people would walk up to me. and I never, I'll never forget this one guy walked up to me and said, you know, I've been watching this, and I think I could do this. I'm like, okay. And, and then he, he says to me, and I, I don't even know this guy. He said, I think I could beat you. And you know what I said to him? I said, come on, man. I, I took. I said, "Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna really just like kind of teach him a little bit about sumo, you know. I was gonna. I was gonna take him to the guy who was running the event. Said, this is such and such, and he wants to sign up.' <laughs> <laughs> so, so and, you you've been out of you've been out of it for a while, but I understand in the last couple of years." There were some people with the U.S. Sumo Federation contacting you to to again be involved in it. Yeah, I um, I was actually going to ref uh, one of the uh, events, but I couldn't do it. Um, they, they were having it, uh, the North American, not the North American, the U.S. Nationals in um, King of Prussia. Pennsylvania, not King of Prussia, Valley Forge, and I was actually going to ref, and I, I was going to say, I actually have been, I've done refing, and I've actually been the chief judge for uh, some of the events since I quote-unquote retired, so um, I actually would like to, you know, to do some refing and some judging, or, or, or you know, I prefer to broadcast, of course, but I would like to do some refing and some judging. I mean, we had the was it 98 or 99 we had the uh, North American and U.S. championships at Tech Judo up in North Bergen, New Jersey. I was the chief judge for that. That was mostly because uh, they asked Manny to do it. Manny was like, oh, I don't want to do it. So I ended up being the chief judge, but I've done refing and judging, and I was going to do it again last year, but I had to work, so I couldn't do it. Last year was twenty twenty or twenty nineteen. Twenty 
It was 19. No, no. Was it yeah, it was, it was 20 because that's right before they shut everything down. Okay. February 2020. How did they contact you? Because you've been out of the, the sport. And if we look, Yanni passed away, I think it was 2014. Uh -huh. And his son took uh -huh. over the dojo. But I don't think they train in sumo anymore. And no, they Man don't. They Man don't. Man just, uh... Manny passed away in 2015. And so the yeah. generation that, you know, you had been with so much, you know, yeah. was, was no longer there. Either well, they were, interesting. You know. Let me tell you, um, we have a rank system just like they have in judo. And it just, it's funny because just, just yesterday, Eddie, I just got my black belt judo. After I started judo in '99, yeah, because all my sumo buddies were in the judo, so I had started judo. I just got my black belt in judo, so congratulations. We had a rank. Thank you. We had a rank system that was established in sumo in the '90s when they established the U.S. Sumo Federation, and when it when it started, they had basically a bunch of requirements for time and achievements and knowledge. And when it started out, I had already qualified for Sandai, you know, third degree black belt. But I wasn't allowed to apply for third degree black belt because they had no rank requirements when I had done all my earning of the rank. So I'm like, well, that's unfair. Fuck it, I'm not gonna apply for anything. So <laughs> all these people were, you know, applying for showdown and things like that. Shortly before Yanni passed, he had given me a call and said, you know, you need to get your showdown. And because I, like I said, I hadn't done enough to qualify for Sandan at that time. Said, all right, reluctantly, I said, okay, I'll apply for showdown. So I had to outline all of my achievements and all the work I've done and this and this and that. And uh, so I ended up getting showdown from the U.S. Sumo Federation. So that's why I think they knew where to get me because I was a, I was a, I'm, a, I'm a life member and I'm the former treasurer of the U.S. Sumo Federation. So that's how I think they were able to find me because I had gotten a call from Helen Popolo, who was the you know the president. And she had asked me if I wanted to, you know, do some refing, and I was like, "Yeah." I mean, my eyes are kind of old and out of practice, but I'd love to. I'd love to do it, you know. <laughs> and I, I, I'm hoping that, you know, if they do have the, uh, they do end up having the World Games, I can, you know, be involved with them on some level there. Yeah, the the schedule is, and, and again, the pandemic has upended everything. But there've exactly. been there've been a number of there've been a number of tournaments, uh, mostly yeah. regional ones. Even the U.S. Sumo Open in California, they had to do it was postponed. They did it last year, right. but with no fans. They usually get several thousand fans in attendance right. for that. Yeah, they always have great attendance at that thing. Right, yeah. but they couldn't do because they did it late, late last year. They they couldn't right. have any fans there. Okay, so now the schedule is aside from very you know there are these local events uh june 19th in austin texas are the u.s nationals 
that is that is scheduled to take place. And they've been holding some some local events there. They had in March the the women's um, invitational uh, sumo tournament that Eros Armstrong organized. But those were more small. Those are smaller type events. So June is mm-hmm. supposed to be the nationals in Austin because there's a lot of a lot of the focus has recently been in Texas with a lot of people competing. Yeah, that's because. Of the towns they yeah. Right. They have a number of clubs in different, in Houston, in Dallas, in San Antonio, in Austin, and they've been starting to bring in people, and they've been bringing in people also who have done other combat sports, too, because people, a lot of this, you know, as you've mentioned, when people go to one of these places to train, they're often doing, you know, whatever they, whatever they can, trying all these different things to to pick up techniques, which is which is really good, and so yeah. later in the year they don't have a date for it, but they want to have a North American Championships is sort of the 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 working idea to build up yeah. for July of 2022 the World Games, which are some Olympic but mainly non-Olympic sports have this right. quadrennial event. It was supposed to be this year, but it got postponed because the Olympics got postponed from 2020 to 2021, and we don't know whether they'll actually will hold the Olympics, but the World Games are 2022, and they will be this year in Birmingham, Alabama. So yep. sweet home Alabama, <laughs> and which means for <laughs> Americans to compete and attend that event in sumo, which is on the program of the World Games, it's not going to yep. be that difficult. There's always some expense, but it's not like it's going to, you know, you're going to have to fly halfway around the world or whatever, right. which is going to limit you, again, particularly with restrictions on travel. And what's, gonna, what's the situation with the pandemic and what's it going to be in July 2022 is anybody's guess. But it's likely it's going to be much less severe and to some degree gone by then. And so yeah. it's a great That's opportunity cooling. for sumo in the United States to showcase it itself, to build up there. And there's still a lot of time to plan this. And still a lot of people are still in quarantine and just having very limited activity a lot of gyms are still closed some are still open mm-hmm. and there's also a lot of controversy particularly in texas with this uh, governor abbott i call him hey abbott you know because he reminds me more of abbott <laughs> and costello and in any case you you're starting to see a little bit more activity and you're starting to see some of the people that contacted you I don't know that uh, that people like that were involved or how much involved they were in the 90s or the, the early 2000s. Right. I, I see most right. of the people that I see with the U.S. Sumo Federation, they, it's not like they got involved yesterday. But even if they've been involved two, three, five, ten years, this is a new generation of people. Yeah, and I really do think that... Uh 
they do have a desire to, to get some of the old heads involved. Um, I had always thought of, you were talking about the Yarborough Cup. I had always thought of something like a, a and this is not something that I have really thought of other than just thought of to myself. You're the only person I've ever brought this up to. U.S. Sumo Hall of Fame. Wow, there, there you go. You, look, you know? the U.S. Sumo Federation, it's an amateur organization. It doesn't have TV. It, it's its not working with the uh, USLPC. It's not getting money right. coming in, so it's limited, But which makes it more urgent to do things to popularize, legitimately popularize, not, I'm, t- I'm not talking about making it a, you know, ridiculous, you know, a carnival spectacle like the WWE, right. but there are legitimate things to do. So a U.S. Sumo Hall of Fame, wow. Yep. There, a lot of the people that, we I, mentioned I right off the here. bat can go into that. And since <laughs> sumo and the tradition of sumo, which is one of the good traditions, is a lot of the events, you have the Emperor's Cup and the Hako Cup and all these things like that. Yeah. Manny was the only American on the amateur level to win a world championship. And even the Americans who were in professional sumo in Japan, while they were great, great athletes, a couple of them were Yoko, Yokozunas in their prime, didn't become world an international world champion, although they um, they probably yeah. could have, but they didn't. Yeah. And so the only American to win a gold medal, while a number of Americans have won medals, in the International Sumo Federation events was Manny Yarborough. And he won several other yeah. medals. I think like five five years he won among either like a gold, silver, or bronze. And as we talked about, you knew him a lot better than I did. Everybody loved Manny. And yeah. if you're going to name a cup, at, at one of these top events for somebody, I can't think of anybody better than naming it after Manny, assuming that there wouldn't be any complications with, again, I don't know who was left from his family when he passed away, but I've discussed this with uh, Beatrice Davis, who was his manager for, for many yeah. years at, at the time of his passing, and, so, and when Manny... Manny died. I did a tribute show to him, and she sent me some really good pictures. And she, I spoke with her more recently, and she's on board with this. And she actually was in touch with some of the people because Manny did some of the work pro wrestling after his sumo career, and he built yeah. up a following in Europe from that. Oh and yeah, oh yeah. She, and she's been in touch with with some of those people and you know they might be interested in in something like this because again even in the pro wrestling a lot of the or some of the people I don't know if it's a lot but some of the people involved at least more in years past have come from legitimate combat sports so if you if you want to do something that can help popularize the sport you know you have in, in football, the Heisman Trophy, in college wrestling, the Hodge Trophy for the late Danny Hodge. American Sumo should have the Manny Yarbrough Cup. I think it's, and, and everyone I've spoken to 
is very interested in, in doing that and figuring the right time to to do that. I don't know who's, who is who survived from his family that could be contacted. And if the U.S. Sumo Federation's going to do it, I'm just a media guy who comes up with these ideas okay. and talks about a lot of stuff. But I think there are a, there are a number of people would be in contact with some of them. I don't know if Manny's. I heard Manny's mom. I don't know what whether she passed away or not. I forget. What happened with that? But I think his girlfriend. I know, I know. Well, hmm. well, they could yeah, figure that. They could figure that out. I'm just sort of thinking off the top of my head. But I think that there's a consensus that there should be a Manny Yarbrough Cup, and because Manny also was known not only internationally in sumo, but he was known in the media and from his UFC show. He also fought a couple of MMA fights in Japan. Right. He's somebody that, and then the pro wrestling in Europe, he's somebody that's known internationally. Yep, that's true. So, it would be great if you could get some of the other people we mentioned involved in this, but I, I personally I think that's a start. That's my suggestion, which I've made already to the people in the U.S. Sumo Federation, and and I think they got to find some way for you to be directly involved in this more than it'd be great if you could be like an official. Yeah. But I think they yep. it would be good if they could find some other way for you to be involved in the production and the running of these events, so they go beyond just something that a small. You know, they're going to stay amateur, but they're going to go beyond just being small events. The, the the U.S. Sumo Open is an amateur event, but they got they would get big crowds in California. And, and maybe yeah. later this year they'll be able to, to do it again if the pandemic eases, eases enough because they have experience in that. I think on the East Coast and in Texas and these other places that you stay, and there are other places that are now newer hotbeds of sumo. Yeah. It would be great if there were like a really big event that that got held somewhere. Yeah, I mean, they've always, they've, excuse me, they've always had uh, interest in, for instance, Georgia. Um, Georgia's always been doing pretty well. Idaho, um, because of, you know, Kelly Knighting. Um, Kelly's an interesting soul. He was a one of the, he's kind of like a bridge between that uh, time in the in the nineties to uh, to now. He um, he was from Utah originally, but I think he he, was, he lives in Idaho or somewhere like that. And he had uh, some events out in Idaho. Right. So there. So my point is, you got one advantage of the U.S. Sumo Federation is, as far as I know. You got all the clubs involved in the U.S. Sumo Federation. You know, it's not like some other yeah. combat sports where you have no unified federation or a number of paper federations that only involve some people and everybody is fighting amongst themselves over over nothing rather than having a yeah. unified federation. And with all the 
defects is because you have an international sumo federation, which maybe we can discuss another time because it's a little bit more yeah. complicated. But the idea of governance uh, that you have these national and international federations is something that's accepted. And it's not accepted in, in a number of these other sports that have remained either marginalized or have not developed as sports and become more spectacle types. So th- those are all the strengths. And um, that brings us up to today, 2021, and even 2022. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. What a journey. What a journey. Let me, let's start to wrap this up because this is going to be. Yeah, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> right. A very lengthy discussion. Anything you want to add and any, if people want to get, you know, in touch with you online, what are the easiest ways to do that? Cool. Um, I was going to say, I, I don't really have social media, believe it or not. I mean, I have a Facebook page, but I very seldom am on it. Um, I know, I looked at some of your pictures are quite old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, basically, I mean, I, I basically, well, a couple of things happened, man. I mean, I went to, I basically went into, um, went, went into just a, a, a dad mode where I just worked and worked a bunch of jobs and raised kids. Um, didn't really, I, you know, I left journalism, so I didn't stay in that. I kind of fell out of doing sumo, although I did judo with my kids and stuff like that. I actually ended up I, I, I ended up refing a uh, a TV show done by this guy. You ever heard of Tore? He's a uh, um he used to be like kind of like a rap journalist. Uh, long story short, he ended up doing this TV show or this internet show where he basically experience all these different types of aspects of life and one of them was sumo so what happened was is that manny organized this thing they asked him to uh he got a bunch of uh, guys from north jersey who were doing su- done sumo and um they all you know Tore had a shot at going and getting in the ring uh, doing a match with all these guys uh, we basically did a round robin thing and he got to experience sumo i was the ref how how probably, long ago was that? That was in was about ten, eleven years ago. Okay. Yeah. Because they need yeah, help. So. They need help, and again, a lot of this is tied with with money. But in getting getting videos up of their matches yeah. and video production, and not mm-hmm. just you know somebody setting up a cell phone and streaming it on Facebook right. or something like that. We're talking about prof- more professional uh, yeah. video production. Real. Yeah, and yeah. having uh, co- real commentators who will, you know, will be able to explain to people who are watching and could do posts and all that kind of stuff. And that's where, that's where you have teamwork and not everybody can do everything. Yeah. So if there's a way that you know that again is as things you know, start I, to open up a little bit. Yeah. 
I guess, let's see, I, I can announce my email address. I guess that's the best way well, to go. Give you, you're on Facebook. People could find you on yeah. Facebook, right? That's the only social media you're on? I have a Twitter account, but I don't, again, I don't use that very oh, often. Oh, you either. should uh, use it. There's better, dis I've been telling a lot of sumo people, Facebook is horrible for a million and one reasons. Twitter is yeah. a lot of horrors, but it's, give us, give me your, your Twitter do you remember that? Or oh, you could I, send it to me. Bot Macumba. Here, Manny would have fun with that. Bot Macumba is an old song by a Brazilian uh, musician named uh, Gilberto Gil. When we uh, did the sumo thing with Charlie Bray, uh, we all had to have a nickname. <laughs> so I was Bot Macumba. Um, so, yeah, send me a Macumba. thing if we're not friends. I don't remember whether we're contacts on uh, Twitter, but I'm at NHB News. I've been using that NHB okay. News handle for a whole lot of different different things. So send me a thing on that, and I'm trying to get more people, you know, to do that because you could communicate better, I found, on Twitter than you can on Facebook. It's just too clunky, and there's too much fake information, and, you know, there's a lot of that on Twitter, but it's it's... It's 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 more customizable at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Anything Alrighty. you want to say as we wrap it up? Anything you're looking forward to? Well, you know what? Um, <coughs> excuse me. I don't know, I'm I'm just happy to be uh, still around. Happy that you're able to talk about uh, sumo. I, I miss Manny. I miss doing sumo. I miss. Uh, all the uh, all the great experiences that we had around the world, um, you know, doing stuff in uh, Japan and, and, and uh, Hawaii and Canada and uh, Switzerland and France and you know, the other places that we went. Um, I'm happy to still be around. I really have a strong interest in uh, you know being. Some kind of an old head, an official, a, a figure in sumo, and uh, you know it, it's something I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to this pandemic being over, so that I can, uh, you know, just be be out among human beings again. And uh, sumo hopefully will be a big part of that. Did you get your vaccine yet? Yeah, uh, luckily I got. I, I was back. I was fully vaccinated almost a month ago. Oh, good. Okay, great. Okay. Yep. So we are definitely going to be in touch, and there's going to be a lot more that I'm going to be doing discussing the history, the past, present, and future, particularly of American sumo. And Yeah, uh, I mean, I could even, uh, I got to it a little bit, but, you know, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot, a lot more stuff out there about, like, for instance, uh, you know, the first Americans to actually do pro sumo, uh, there were two guys. Uh, there was a guy named Harley Ozaki back in the 1930s and 40s, and a guy named Bob Switsugu in the 60s. They were the first Americans to go pro. Wow. There's so much, this, this history has to be reestablished, and especially while yeah. those of us who were getting on in years to to be generous about things are, are still around yeah. to talk about it so that the next yep. generations can understand the tradition that they're going into. 
Yep. So let's let's wrap this up now. Listen, I want to thank you for taking so much time to to talk with us, and we're going to be talking again soon, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to go to to some of these events pretty soon, particularly in the the Northeast. Yeah, that that would be wonderful. I really uh, would enjoy seeing that revival and being part of that revival. Great. Well, thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk soon, and arigato. <laughs> thank you, Eddie, and, uh, you know, it's uh, been a been a total pleasure. Um, <laughs> what was I going Ahoy ho. Great. That Aloha was... and uh, Malamapono, aloha and ahui ho. <laughs> Thank, we you. Thank you. All right. No Holds Barred is brought to you by LennyHart.com, the home of Lenny Hart, the legendary MMA and sports announcer, voice actor, singer, actress, and comedian. Lenny is also known for her jazz vocals with her Lenny Hart Jazz Cabaret Band. For more information, to book her, or to order a custom message from her, go to LennyHart.com. That's L-E-N-N-E-H-A-R-D-T dot com. And Skulls Fight Shop, home of the Skulls Double End Bag the perfect punching bag for your combat sports training. Skull's double-end bags provide a realistic striking target and help improve speed, distance, and timing skills. Hang it and hit it right out of the box. No pump required. Skull's Fight Shop, advancing combat sports equipment for the next generation of fighters. For more information, go to Skulls that's S K U L L Z Fightshop.com. And Adolfina Studios, original art prints and handcrafted fine jewelry. For more information, go to Etsy.com. That's E T S Y.com slash shop slash Adolfina Studios. That's A D O L P H I N A Studios. Also, Please subscribe to the No Holds Barred page on Patreon for much more No Holds Barred content that's at patreon.com slash Eddie Goldman. Hello everyone around the world. Welcome back. This is Eddie Goldman, No Holds Barred. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the show. Thanks for listening. If you want to follow my site, my blog, the easiest way is go to eddiegoldman.com. For No Holds Barred, this has been Eddie Goldman.